I'm Critter. I'm Jace. And we should be working. working. God damn it. It's one, two, (laughs) say it. (laughs) All right. I'm Critter. I'm Jace. And And we we should should be be working. working. I fucking hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Is that an office mini fridge behind you, Terry? It is. Uh, We. That's the way to do it, man. You got to figure it out. Got a few beers in there. Uh, we built this like mini office out in the backyard at the start of the, like midway through the pandemic. I mean, we started it midway through. We finished it. I don't know if it's ever going to end, but uh, the pandemic itself. But um, it's been like a massive game changer for me. Having a separate space away from the kids in the house that I can actually walk out to and open a different door. And I've made it my own little, it's my little nook. It's like my music nook. What's the bathroom nice. situation? Uh, there's like a three foot gap in between the office and the fence. No, I'm just kidding. I, there's a, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just walk back to the house if I need to use the restroom. But it doesn't have running water or anything like that. We didn't go that that crazy, but it's got okay. a, it's like eight by 12. Nice. That's pretty nice though. Yeah, I like that. And you got an actual commute. That's what I miss. I miss a commute. You know, you're walking out of something and into something else. Yeah, that fifty feet makes a big difference. It's a, yeah, it's like a spirit. It's a, the spirit of the thing. Yeah, it, it's and then like of course once this was finished, I was like, well, it'd be nice to have a walkway. So we like find project on project uh, during during this whole pandemic period. I'm like trying to fill all my hours for some reason. <laughs> Are you a do-it-yourselfer? Uh, moderately, I'm a come up with ideas and then find people to help me materialize them but my skills are there sort of limited yeah my, my skills me. are absolutely limited shut up critter <laughs> sorry <laughs> it was only a matter of time before i got the first shut up that's what well, i was waiting hold on. for we need terry needs to introduce himself so we have mr terry with us mr terry and now you have to give us two sentences elevator pitch you, you're the man for it, too. Ooh, you're a sales guy. You uh, must have an elevator pitch. Yeah, sell yourself, Terry. What's up now, well, John? Two sentences. That's like crazy pressure. Um, let's see. I'm uh, an East Coast transplant living in Portland, Oregon. I'm father of two boys and a wonderful lady and husband to a wonderful lady. And uh, by day, I'm managing director at Phase 2. And by night, I'm a vigilante. No, by night, uh, <laughs> probably like watching Ted Lasso. What, what's your vigilante name? Ooh, uh, I go off the, the 80s wrestler T-Funk. The I'm mad with it. Man. He was the madman of pro wrestling. Awesome. Was he? Was that WWF era? Uh, that was of WWF course. era, yeah. Yeah, nice. So how old are your kids? Uh, six and seven. One's about to be, one's about to be eight. See, that's actually why I was wondering about the bathroom situation, because my favorite thing about this office is that I don't have to go where the kids are to use the bathroom, because if I do that, then I get swarmed and, you know, like they ask me to do stuff and I'm like, I'm trying to work. I'm just, you know, in and out, Betty. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I get like these five minute gaps, the bio breaks, I'll run inside and without fail, I get they try to reel me into some Lego building situation. <laughs> yeah. <They're> like, <laughs> do you want to, <laughs> do you want to be baby Yoda and I could be Mandalorian and, uh, 
Yeah. I, yeah. They're like, I just need help with this one thing. It'll be so quick. And then like 30 <laughs> minutes later, it's still not working. Uh, yeah. How old's your brood? I got 11, 8, 5, and 3. Power to you, man. That's impressive. So many children. Once you get up, once you get to three, it, you know, you just add more. It doesn't really change anything. It's, it's, <laughs> they start watching themselves. I'm convinced that we could have four more and it would be roughly the same level of chaos. Yeah, and then you could build a baseball team. Yeah, that would be nice. I could do I could do a basketball team right now if I'm if I'm in it. I'd have to play center because I'm the tallest. <laughs> it's the only time that I'd ever get to play center for anything. And Jace, you got the two pups. Those are your family's pups? Uh, well, Stout's mine. And then Porter's housemates, my sister and brother-in-law. Um, but yeah, that's all the responsibility that I'm willing to have at the moment. Jace, it's good I to can't... see you, man. It's been forever, it seems like. It has been forever. I mean, I did move down to Eugene and everything. Just kind of snuck out of Portland in 2020. Yeah, the last time I chatted with you and I, that that information bomb was dropped on me. I was like, so we're never going to have in-office time together? No. Uh, well, there's no office anymore. Chats? Uh, for now. For now, true. Oh. But I do, I do have to make it up to Portland and start running with Bloom again. He's been pinging me every now and then about it. Are you a runner, Terry? Uh, I am not a runner. I have run a few like 5Ks and I did a half marathon. Um, I actually attempted to do a half marathon once and just got wildly uh, disappointed in myself and, and gave up. I was like, I'll never be able to, to do this. And then I stopped talking about it and finally started training in earnest like a year later and um, was able to kind of pull through and get get a half done. But running's not my thing. My wife is a accomplished long distance runner, which I think the first time I tried to attempt the half marathon, that was what was so disheartening is she just could run <laughs> laps no big deal. <laughs> and she made it look yeah. so effortless. And meanwhile, I'm like dredging through the streets, huffing and puffing. But you're a lifter. Have you been keeping up with your lifting? A little bit here and there. I'm getting old. A man. little bit. Oh like, man. Oh, but for your but you lifted. You deadlifted 500 pounds before 40. I'm so happy for you. And then you should have just kept that going. You should be at like 700 pounds now. Yeah, I tried to you do did, what? <laughs> 500. How long ago was that? It was right after my 40th birthday, actually. So that was like about was a year and a half. Very impressive. Two years ago. That's killer, man. Yeah, you can let it that easy drop. too. It's such yeah, an easy pull for him. Was, he could have done a second one without yeah. without even taking another breath. You're making me blush, but I try to do hard things now, and uh, I get hurt. Um, so I've been taking it easy. I, I tore my hamstring a couple months ago doing like my first athletic endeavor in forever. I was like, oh, I'll go out and play softball with my neighbors. I didn't make it past the third inning before I was hobbling <laughs> off the field. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, my so, body, I was like, "You can still do this. You can still run fast, right?" Absolutely not. No, I, I have no baseball swing anymore. Uh, my left shoulder will just pop. Then, like, even if I keep form and everything, it'll just pop and fucking just hurt so bad, and I can't like use it for a while and stuff. It sucks. Yeah, I have like a a, a six inch radius that I'm able to sleep in without waking up with a sore shoulder or like sore hips or something. Oh man. Yeah. Isn't that the worst? Like that's the ultimate sign of feeling old. If you injure yourself while you're sleeping, it's like, this is just, this is not fair. <laughs> or like uh sneezing and throwing out your back. Shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I had one back thing that ever happened and it like opened my 
eyes up to how awful back pain and like chronic back injuries are. And I was doing something so benign. I think I was like bending over to pick up something. And the next day I had a flight to New York and I was like, oh, this will feel fine by tomorrow. And I woke up the next morning and had to like basically get a crane lift to get off my bed. <laughs> the flight was canceled. The trip was done. I was frozen up for a couple of days. And it just went away on its own? It went away on its own. But was this, it was just old man back. Was this old before or after it? Was this before or after you pulled 500? <laughs> before. Before. <laughs> So, you know, the human body recovers, I guess. Yeah, that's resilience, baby. It's an inspiration to its all, Terry. <laughs> so wait, how many podcasts has this been for you guys? Well, this is 44. This is 44. Yeah, yeah, it's in yep. the number or in the oh, URL. right there. And yeah. what have you been it, most surprised by the experience? I still have a job. Yeah, you know, that's the funny thing is, uh, is each one of these is roughly an hour. And we always do this when we should be working, hence the name. So we've successfully avoided working for a full 44 hours now, which is more than a, more than a week. And we still both know. have jobs. I, I still make up this hour, though. Like, yeah, right. Especially, Don't listen to well, them. That's bullcrap. Well, especially, fr- well, Fridays, I have a wall of just shit. And then, like, I'm like I need to code before the end of my week. Otherwise, I'm going to be so pissed all weekend. And then I'll give up, like, a Saturday or Sunday to fucking do a ticket just because, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I finally did some work. Uh, someone sent me a meme this past week that was like uh, a bubble over someone's head and says, just do that one small last thing you need to do so you can enjoy the evening. And then them like shaking their fist at the sky and an inability to just get that one little last thing done so they can enjoy yeah. the night. Yeah. I think the uh, thing that's been surprising for me is that this is in the, I, I didn't plan it this way. We didn't actually even talk about having guests, but this has ended up being a great way to just stay in touch with people. You know, like who cares if anyone listens? Like, I, you know, I wouldn't otherwise be talking to you right now if this didn't happen. Like I've been catching up with Frank and all kinds of people. So this is just a, you know, it's a, it's a weird kind of like awkward structure, I think, but it just forces relationships to continue. And I love that structure. This thing is well, also. Better. <laughs> well, well so great about it. <laughs> also i'm i mean i i'm not very public when like i i don't talk to a lot of people in the open even like public chats and stuff so like people listen to these and still kind of know what i'm thinking or how i think and it, it's kind of insightful in that way for when you do cross paths and we have a conversation and you're just like oh fuck that was wild it's just kind of like oh yeah that's he's kind of like that yeah, man. I think I've always admired that about you, Jace. When you told me you were doing the, uh, the like the stand up training and putting <laughs> yourself out there in that regard, I was like, I know that takes some serious guts because you're not just the most naturally vulnerable person, but you put yourself into positions that you have to be vulnerable. I think he, I think he overdoes it. I think there are, there are times when he pushes himself for the sake of growth, and there are times where he just flat out punishes himself. To, for sure. to feel bad for like past wrongdoings or some weird crap like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a Catholic in me, right? I was baptized Catholic. That's the good. shame and guilt cycles that's, are that's real, man. Yeah. No, I mean, I fucking, my grandmother and mother are the ones that instilled all the guilt and shame into me that they possibly could, especially being like the only male out of like all my siblings and stuff and cousins and all that. So it was just kind of like, you have to feel guilty about everything because life's going to be slightly easier for you. It's like, could, <laughs> could it start being easier first, and then I could start feeling guilty for it? You're like, I no. 
<laughs> could have gone like the Opus Day route of you know self abuse and and really Catholic orthodoxy, or I could just do some stand up, right? <laughs> yeah, For sure. Oh man, yeah. I I've been thinking about it too. Like um, one of the people I did that whole like course class thing with um, and performance with lives here in Eugene, and she does like the the local circuit for open mics and stuff. And I like I still follow her Instagram and I know where all the places that she's doing like the open mics, they're like right down the road and stuff. Like, fuck, I should just go do it. Just go up and just start talking into a microphone again, just because. Yeah, man. I don't know how you do it. I've like contemplated improv classes or uh, public speaking classes in the past and just terrifies me, which is ironic given the work that I do, but I'm much, much better in that space at work than I would be just in like a, a public voluntary uh, public speaking well, moment. Do you get... I cheat. I cheated a little bit, right? Like I, I purposely paid for my older sister to take the course in class with me, and so like I had somebody there, like the one person that knows everything that I've been through in my life and stuff. So that like when we talk about certain things, he's like either like, oh, you shouldn't say that, or like reel that yeah. back a little bit. Those types of things. Terry, do you ever get nervous anymore before you know, like a big client presentation or something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all the time. I still have to like psych myself up and go through breathing exercises. Uh, I've got a little bit of a, like some habits and patterns that I've been able to follow over the years, but, um, preparation is always the thing that makes me comfortable. And I get most nervous when things are on like a really tight turnaround and you're, you don't have the time to do the research. So you kind of are coming in uh, 70% ready and you know you're going to have to do some tap dancing. Um, but oftentimes once it gets in the flow, I feel much more comfortable. But the breathe, like <clears throat> right when I started at phase two, I had my first client pitch. I'd, I'd flown to New York and it was my first time leading a pitch. And I had a friend group, um, like a text chain with my friends back from D.C., and I reached out to them an hour beforehand. I was like, guys, I'm freaking out. I'm just really like my, my heart's in my throat. I can feel my heartbeat in my toes. Um, and a buddy of mine, Scott, just gave me a little ritual to follow, like a breathing ritual to follow. And it helped immensely. Um, I did it right before I walked in the room and I, I noticed a pretty remarkable difference. So I've tried to build on that just as a way to cut through the anxiety. Can you walk us through it? Is it easy to explain the ritual? It's super easy. It's like uh, four seconds on, four seconds off. Um, breathe, hold, exhale, hold. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. And like Headspace or Calm or any of these apps have similar breathing exercises uh, within the, within the experience. So when you get nervous before something like that, are you able to put your finger on like what it is? You know, are you nervous that you're going to say something stupid or that you'll forget, you know, some answer like what you're what you're so afraid of? Or is it just a vague sense of unease that you can't really identify? Um, Or is it a habit to be anxious before a meeting? I think there's some of that. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people who embrace the butterflies like that's part of what makes them good and you know that pressure is coming so you want to be prepared to um so if you so you've got all the information stored up in your head and you're able to step into that space confident in what you how you've educated yourself you can overwhelm some of that anxiety but uh 
yeah, sometimes it's like, especially in the, in the pandemic era, it's been really different because you're not in a room with people. So you don't get to read their body language. And you know, that's where I kind of thrive is reading the room and making sure that the right people are involved in the conversation. And in absence of that, you're kind of speaking into this void sometimes. And that alone gives me anxiety, like the not getting any sort of real-time feedback um, that did at first. I mean, that's definitely changed over, over the past 18 months or so. Uh, and I don't know, the other thing, maybe it's just habit forming, like, like you said. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It's like this that, fear that you're going to sound scripted or, uh, like formulaic cause you've got all this information stored up and you're going to like blurt it out as if it were bullet points, as opposed to be conversational. Um, who knows? I mean, it's the fear of the unknown. After, after it's over, do you ruminate and like continue stressing or is it just a sense of relief like it's done sense of relief massive sense of relief and it's all it always goes better than you've constructed in your mind or it almost always does have have you ever had any like you know a joke that just totally bombed or some some super embarrassing awkward moment in front of a crowd like that uh not a joke that's bombed or anything i've managed to sidestep those kind of major blunders but i've definitely had i had a uh a pitch. This was a few years ago. No, this was like seven years ago. This is right after I started. And we had underestimated the number of people who were going to be involved in this process. And I think there were 20 representatives in this massive boardroom. Um, we expected maybe a handful. Uh, and they were all speaking a totally different language than we were. They were like comms and PR and, and publicist people. And we were speaking much more of a, a tech and design kind of language. And I remember within the first 10 minutes, a question a question from one of the, um, I think he ended up being a decision maker, uh, came up and it was so out of left field and showed how far apart we were in the conversation that we're like, I just wanted to crawl into a shell and like be <laughs> up and out the door. It was a great learning experience. Um, and fortunately, it was not like this most the most lucrative thing that we were trying to uh, bank our hopes and dreams on. But it was it was pretty awkward. But but still, even after that, like when it doesn't go great, you still just feel a sense of relief. Yeah, after that, I definitely remember going to get a burger and a beer and being like, let's man, just, let's just forget this happened. Suppress. See, that's suppress. I think I'm the I'm the opposite of that. For me, uh, I mean, I, I get nervous before things, but my thing is like afterwards, I just go over and over in my head, you know, like what should I have said instead? And it seemed like they gave me a weird look at that time and stuff. And that's why I could never, well, I shouldn't say I could never, but like I really, really don't want to try and do stand up or, you know, like take a public <laughs> speaking class or whatever. Because if I, if I tell a joke and it bombs, then I will think about that for decades. It will be stuck with me. <laughs> Well, what do you think about the the podcast then? Like, do you just sit and think about what we're what we talk about or what we publish here? I mean, no, you that's say some why really stupid shit. I mean, that's why I love stupid shit. <laughs> that's why I love the podcast and I love uh, and I love blogging. It's like it's like extra version for shy people or something. It's like a way to put yourself out there, but not have to see the response of everyone. So, you know, like I don't have to witness people not laughing at my jokes now. And that makes me not care. But me seeing the people sitting there staring at me, not laughing, is the hard part. Ah, gotcha. Fascinating. So you found little workarounds to to tap into that without 
like the ceremony. Yeah. I mean, it's, some of it, that's true for me as well. And even though I, you know, have stand up on stage with a microphone, I, I was a nervous wreck and just, I, I mean, I sped through all of the content that I was going to say in like four minutes and it's supposed to be like a five minute set and stuff. So like, I, I just gunned it and just kept going straight through everybody's laughs and stuff. Didn't pause for anything just because I was, I was too nervous. But then like this, it's, it's just a conversation. So like kind of back to what we were talking about before, we're, I will never think about these podcasts again. There's some that I re-listened to because I think I've said something that maybe we have to take out, like a client's name or something mm-hmm. like that. But like, aside from that, I, I just forget that I even have these conversations until somebody's like, hey, I was listening to the episode, blah, 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 and this happened, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, oh, I, I should go listen to that real quick and know what you're talking about. Yeah, you've got 44 hours under your belt. So that that's a lot. I mean... You, you guys have made it feel pretty comfortable. By the way, I had no idea what to expect. I think I've listened to one or two episodes and Jace hit me up this morning and was like, hey, you want to jump on this afternoon? And so it's kind of nice not having any uh, advance notice <laughs> just to jump right in and chat with you. Oh, th- that was helpful? That's totally, good. Totally, yeah. I was like, uh, you know, my, my afternoon's somewhat light and we're entering into late day East Coast time. So things have slowed down a little bit. Man, we should always just surprise people last minute. I never thought about that. <laughs> That's I mean, a good strategy. More, like I said, what were we going to talk about? He said, uh, "We'll just talk." That works. We're just talking. It's and it's what I've been seeing you guys in forever. I mean, that is a like I viewed this as a, a similar opportunity to just catch up with people that I normally wouldn't have seen. Um, I think Jay, uh, Crit, you wrote something about scheduling meetings with friends, and yeah. Um, that's something that me and my wife have been talking about a lot lately is, you know, this has been a, a tough year for friendships, um, especially long distance friendships or, you know, right outside of our neighborhood friendships. Short distance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we've, we've been like making it a pretty intentional, um, taking intentional steps to try to reach out to people and say like, what are you guys doing on Sunday afternoon? Let's you know jump on a FaceTime or do whatever, just catch up. Yeah, I've, yeah, you gotta just. I, I I was gonna say like I've tried I've tried with a few people and I feel like there's still a stigma to it. Like, um, I don't know. It, it some people just feel weird. Like, oh, you want a video chat for like thirty minutes? Why? Why not just call? It's like I don't want to fucking sit there with a phone to my ear or have like this setup and like we could talk and just let it go versus I don't know walking around on a phone. But whatever. That is- that is pretty weird. I never thought about it before, but now that I'm so used to video chatting, phone calls actually seem more like pointless. I don't know, awkward. Yeah, pointless, awkward, just like more of a to do or something. Like I want to avoid those more than seeing people's face. I guess it makes sense. You know, this is like more natural. It's like you're actually sitting together a little bit more. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, like the pauses on a phone call feel much longer and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, like I can, I can see what your eyebrows are doing and know, like you know, I don't know what you're, rea- how you're reacting to something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now's the time that we need a big awkward pause just yeah. to hammer him the point. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if they could only see what you two are doing right now. <laughs> Jace, put your shirt back on, man. Hell no! I'm a free man. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon. Whatever. I'm port- a Pete Pablo. This.
Whatever Porter is doing in the back really does need to be censored, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at that. <laughs> He's going to town, man. Get it. <laughs> I won't um, let them censor you, Porter. Don't get any ideas, Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a hard left turn. Okay. Uh, Terry, Terry, hit me with what's your what about your job? Do you super look forward to, and what about it do you dread? Ooh. Well, my job has changed pretty substantially in the last seven months. Um, so I'm still like figuring out all the things I really love about it um, and all the things that I dread about it. I don't dread too many things so far, fortunately. Um, the things that I like most about my job are opportunities to... So in my role, my job is really to help lead a vertical at phase two, which is the commercial markets vertical. And that's to work with clients across like financial services and high tech and energy and manufacturing. Um, and one of the things that I love about my job is I get a front row seat to a lot of different organizational change and I get to help different organizations wade through that change. Um, and it, it's very eye opening. I mean, I, I really have gotten to kind of peek behind the curtain of a lot of different places and see how, their team dynamics are and where their gaps and vulnerabilities are um, and helping solve through some of that, like gives me a lot of energy. Uh, I like working in that space. Um, the things you, that, oh, go ahead. You, hold on. Yeah. One of the things that Jason and I like to talk about is how often, you know, we working for an agency, you work with a lot of big companies and, you know, like well-known brands, whatever. Um, and often when you look behind the scenes, it's actually, just chaos and people who just have no idea what they're doing. And you're just surprised that this, you know, that these people could be running this multi-million dollar, whatever. Um, do you ever have that reaction or like, are you often surprised that these, these people are making any money at all? Or are you ever impressed with, with how much they have it together? Like, what does that tend to look like for you? And, and sometimes it's this manufactured bureaucratic chaos that um, I'm blown away by how inefficient sometimes large scale enterprise operations can be. Um, and then I counter that with like, well, maybe this scale of bureaucracy is what it takes to kind of keep the ship moving along at 5%, 10% growth year over year, which is at a certain scale, like really impressive. Um, but oftentimes, yeah, that's the case. And then every once in a while you get these clients, uh, I wish I could name, name clients cause I'm going to be giving them props, but where you walk in and you just feel like they've cur curated a culture of innovation and like meritocracy. And I don't mean meritocracy in like the negative sense. I mean, like the best ideas are the ones that get traction. Um, and you're walking around their hallways and you're meeting with their people and you're seeing their operation and you feel like just via osmosis, you're learning. Um, mm. And those those are the types of clients that, that you really get excited about working with because you know that the learning is going to be a two-way street. Are, are you able to identify any kind of common thread? Like, are they the smaller clients or the, you know, the younger companies or anything, or is it just sort of random? Random. Uh, some very big companies I've, I've seen operate that way. And then some large companies, it's like, you know, the federal government sometimes uh, you'll see, projects that we would think are 12 to 18 month endeavors at, um, I don't want to put a price on it, but at a certain price and they're literally paying 
10x that amount. Yeah. Damn. Uh, what? I said, damn. Yeah. It, <laughs> and you're like, it's it's just endemic in some of these organizations, and that's just the way the wheels turn. Um, so that that definitely exists. I mean, that stereotype is there for a reason. By the way, I just want to say manufactured bureaucratic chaos is such a killer phrase. That's definitely <laughs> going to be the podcast title for sure. <laughs> you know, it, like you see, sometimes uh, you see this at what you would think are smaller organizations and they've just baked in so many processes and checks and balances and, um, you know, everybody's got a, is granted an SLA of two weeks to turn around something. Well, you go through five gates and two weeks turns into 10 weeks and then you're way behind schedule on something and you're wondering, well, how did this happen? Well, we're waiting on gate number four because they had, you know, a minimum of two weeks and they took five. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Do you, okay, this might be a little bit of a spicy question, but for the, is there a correlation with the manufactured bureaucratic chaos companies also having kind of lower quality people to work with and the really awesome companies having just awesome people? Like, is that a thing? Or are there awesome people at the rough companies that are just like a slave to processes and stuff that's developed outside of their control? Uh, that's a good question. And, um, because of the scale we operate, there are really quality people at, at all of them. Um, some of whom are disruptors and they're wading through that kind of stuff, or they're forging their own little corner of the company. Um, and find they found a way around all of the, the BS to create new things fast. Um, and then some just, you know, it's too much, that hill is too insurmountable to climb and they, they still get things done. They just have to do it at a different pace. Yeah. All right. I, I evaded that question somewhat, but I hear you. Uh, I do find that most of the, like pretty much all the clients we work with have smart people that we're working with. Um, and organizationally, they might be limited in some respects, but uh, at some other places, they're accelerated. I think I cut you off earlier before you're about to say what you dread. Oh, um, uh, you know, I don't dread really anything about my job. I don't, I wouldn't do it if I dreaded, um, a lot. I, I dread, uh, contract delays. <laughs> I dread, like, I, I think the one thing I dread is, uh, the fact that there's a line of communication sometimes where I have to be the bearer of of news that it's like, I'm sorry, it's another delay. And I have so little control over, over this process. Um, but it's just the way it is. Uh, but even that, I mean, I know that I'm surrounded by understanding people who they get that, they get that, you know, I can't control the seven layers of a, a bureaucracy that it might exist within an organization. Um, but I, I do dread those kind of I thought it was going to be done by Wednesday and they're saying it might take a couple more weeks. Um, cause I know how much dependency there is on some of, on some of the work that we do. So you're not, you're, what's your new role look like? You're, it sounds like you're not as directly connected to making sales these days. Uh, not as much. No. Um, I've got a team of folks who are mostly taking in, the new sales, um, unless it's like a direct referral from, from somebody in all likelihood, it's not going to be me. Uh, 
So I'm building out a vertical and that means helping to find the go-to-market strategy. Um, it means getting kind of our research done so that we know where the, the pain points exist within certain marketplaces and figuring out where our services are going to best solve some of those pain points. Um, and then just orchestrating the way of being within the client space and making sure that, you know, we're maintaining momentum and kind of constantly showing up as that indispensable partner. Is it, is it harder to know if you're doing a good job in that role as opposed to when you were, you know, directly connected to the numbers? So far, yes. Um, the strategy side of things is such a long game. So you don't know if the ideas that you're pursuing in earnest are going to be successful until you've got some wins under your belt and there's a, a degree of momentum behind your behind you. And that can take years. Um, whereas my success in previous years, um, it hasn't always been just tied to this, but it's pretty binary. Like you either hit X or you didn't. And that there's a certain comfort in that. I mean, a certain trepidation in being revenue responsible and all of that good stuff. But uh, yeah, um, still I've got a goal that we're working against for our team. So I'll know by the end of the year if we've accomplished that goal, but there are other less tangible factors of success that um, are, are less out of my con immediate control as, as in my previous job. Yeah. Yeah. You reminded me of an old Jeff Bezos quote. I just looked it up. So he said, uh, friends congratulate me after a quarterly earnings announcement and say, good job, great quarter. And I'll say, thank you. But that quarter was baked three years ago. I'm working on a quarter that will happen three years from now right now. And that just sounds tough. Like it just sounds having that, you know, a three year turnaround on your efforts and having to wait three years on some sense of closure, some, you know, like reward from the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's got to be a tough mental battle. Yeah, that's got to be rough. Yeah, but the rewards of it are, you know, that much more intensified, I would think. Um, I mean, talk to me in three years. But, but the, yeah, but those, those rewards come to future Terry. Current Terry gets, <laughs> gets nothing. Gets the shaft, man. True. I mean, and what I've been trying to find lately is um, like embracing the, embracing the process and like really leaning into the idea that if I'm loving what I'm doing as I'm setting the strategy, then, and, I, and I'm fully present in that moment and not thinking about like end goal, end goal, end goal, end goal. Um, there's certain solace that can be found in that work and reward that can be found in that work. And I'm learning a ton in the process, right? Uh, I'm getting to research about a variety of different industries that six to eight months ago, I knew very little about. So I'm building a wealth of knowledge that I think is going to pay dividends in the long run. Um, and it's fun to be back in like in learning mode. Uh, so I'm finding a lot of reward in that. Yeah, I hear you. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I like uh, I like the idea of maybe even like redefining success in terms of stuff that you actually can control. So you can't directly control, you know, if you succeed in the efforts that you're doing because market factors and, you know, randomness and freaking pandemic will come around. So if you define success as like, you know, growth or relationships or happiness or something, then it seems a lot easier. Yeah, it's always a work in progress. Yeah. What about you? You're you're uh, on a different side of the coin these days. How's that been? I mean, yeah, it's been it's been hard. That's kind of why I was asking about it. Like, it's uh, I, this is actually the blog post that'll go out on Monday. It was about this exact thing, which is why it's on my mind. But I was 
I was thinking about it in terms of running. So I think uh, this is why I've liked running so much. It's like you always know exactly how much faster you are now than a year from now. And you always know exactly how many seconds you would lose to, you know, whoever famous runner if you ran a 5K with that person. Like you can compare yourself really easily to your past self and also really easily to everyone else. But there's no way as, you know, a manager or whatever, a leader to compare yourself to how you were a year ago or, you know, if another leader would be doing a better job in your spot. And so I just constantly wonder, am I even doing a good job? You know, am I doing this right? Yeah. And Jason, Jason is really helpful. (laughs) He gives me a clear answer. (laughs) When in doubt, you've got the the Jace devil on your shoulder reminding you how aggressive. I'm the angel on his shoulder. Everyone else is the devil. Anyone who's just letting this man do what he wants because Run he thinks rampant. it's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> they are the devil. You're the and I mean, <laughs> there you go. Is it, and it, even like as an engineer, you know, you've got uh, story points and you got PRs that you close and commits that you get in and whatever. Like there are kind of measures. Once you lose those measures, everything becomes very fuzzy and chaotic. And I don't like that. I miss the numbers. Yeah. I mean, having like a, an aggregate number that I'm working toward is it still gives me that level of comfort. I'm just placing more and more of the of the accountability and responsibility for like the components that go into that aggregate number to other people. And there's a lot of I will say that there's a lot of reward in seeing other people succeed, whether you feel like you've le- led them or influenced them towards success in any way, like watching them flourish um is oftentimes more rewarding than doing the thing yourself that's what i'm finding lately so i've always wondered being in sales for you know a team of engineers it's it's like the classic engineering thing like this thing was underestimated you know and so being on the other side of that does that ever just drive you crazy that you you know the blame always ends up falling on the salespeople who put who helped put together i mean even though you're not the one actually estimating the work whatever but it seems like you you probably take a lot of heat for that. That's undeserved sure. and super annoying. Pretty sure there was a drunken incident about this between me and Terry at New Orleans. Oh gosh! Well, that wasn't about <laughs> estimating. That was about your perpetual dissatisfaction and how uncurable that was. Well, yeah, that that as well for sure. Was this yesterday? Because this sounds very familiar. <laughs> yes. No, you know what? I don't actually get a lot of that because of the way that we construct things. Everyone should and does have a say. Um, Where I get frustrated is, and like I said, this does. I'm so distracted by the size of this water bottle. What is going on? (laughs) (laughs) That has its own like backpack strap. What is that thing? Man, you gotta have. This is a full gallon here. I fill it up in the morning, and I only need to fill it up once a day, and then that's that's my water for the day. Hold on, I it's got, go. yeah. Let me see what you're working with here. <laughs> what do we got? Oh, that's not bad. That's nice. that's legit. Yeah, it's just it's more intense when uh, I see you pull it out. That's like a water cooler from an office, and you're lugging it, right? Yeah, you like <laughs> took it off the machine and tipped it over so you could drink from it. It's really tough first thing in the morning when it's full because it's, you know, a lot of water to hold in one hand. And sometimes I'll just drop it and it'll spill all over me. <laughs> it gets everywhere. 
awesome. But my favorite thing about it, you can't, this is a podcast, so this is a really boring thing for this, the listeners, but it has the time of day on the side. Like by this time, you should have drunk, you know, like it's 3 p.m. and this is the line where you should be at. Oh, you're but low. the best thing, you're yeah, low. I know. I'm I'm at 2 p.m. and it's 4.44 right now, so I'm, I'm on. <laughs> but it's like a cheap knockoff version. So after 11 a.m. comes 12 a.m. And that always just made me so happy. That is great. That is great. I don't, even I don't remember what we were in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I will say this. So I did one of the episodes that I did listen to was uh, touching on talent over skill or talent versus skill. <laughs> My favorite. And crit. let me just tell you, you are getting bullied by these non-believers and they are wrong. You're there we right. go. There we go. Uh, and I, I have yet to hear an argument from you, Terry, that you'll continue to talk about beyond my last statement well, I, I don't i mean I, I don't know if we need to go too deeply into it but there are such things as innate skills and or innate talents and uh i think i think christopher walken and wedding crashers said it best nature versus nurture nature always wins <laughs> i love that that's the example of nature versus nurture that right came yeah to that's mind. that's oh man that's so terry no, but... that's like a terry example of like this is nature versus nurture wedding crashers in obscure scene um no i just like some people have good hand-eye coordination some people have perfect pitch some people um, so it's have natural charisma and that's so yes there are so there are some things yes that are innate that there there just are right like uh, was it ron uh ronnie coleman the the Mr. Universe. Like he he had like specific like a genetic thing that made him unique and it it like gave him that extra edge. I believe that was his name. Fuck. I probably fucked up. Anyway, anyway, um but yeah, so the, there are things, right, that people are born with that they just are, right? You you just have a thing. So I believe it I believe that's a thing. But when we're talking in a work context, there there's so much more. I think you guys are like just dismissing so much that can actually be learned and just giving people an excuse that like, Oh no, no, just, just cop out right here. Don't fucking try. Don't worry about it. Go do something else because you're only half decent at speaking publicly. Don't, don't fucking worry about your charisma sucks. Just, just fucking stay behind the screen and turn off the camera. You know, like there's like, I, I feel like the way that critter is presenting it is like, you either have it or you don't, don't fucking try to learn it. I stand by that. I think that, and Critter, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that uh, finding what someone's natural talents are and helping them bring those more to life, as opposed to like working against the grain on some skills that may be really difficult for them to develop. Um, I think that's a managerial quality. I like. I think finding sure. finding someone's talent and be like, I'm going to put you in a position where your talent can thrive is different than assuming a lifelong learner mentality of like, I will do hard things. Like, I think we all should do hard things. And we all should try things that maybe put us out of our comfort zone a little bit and that we're not naturally good at. Um, But to discount the value that natural talent has is, it's like, you're it's the biggest thing you're, you're born with. There we go. No, man. There we go. I, I, I still think <laughs> desire is stronger than natural talent. I, I still. That's bullcrap. Okay. Think so it, I, I still think that way. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
Well, you're uh, what, what you're saying wrong. is you're allowed to be wrong. What? <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm uh, my entire life has been wrong. That's the whole point. That's what I've been saying. And what you're saying is that you should be able to force it. Like if you have no charisma and no sense of humor, you should be able to learn those. But but you want to be an excellent public speaker or something, then you should be able to force it. Not force it, but you can act that way. Like you can you can learn to pretend to do those things. Sure. But like you, you're not naturally good at them. Like you don't just get up in front of a crowd and fucking just they're stuck on your every word because you're talking. Like that's some people get that just naturally. But if you but, if you for your job's sake wanted to say go and present at DrupalCon for whatever mm-hmm. reason, but you couldn't. Like you you just for whatever reason you've never done it before. Every time you've tried it in school, you failed. You piss yourself when you stand up in front of a crowd. Whatever the fuck it is, right? Like. You can take classes and people can work with you so that you can at least get through that one session, right? I that's that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't get through a session. I'm saying that like okay, look at Terry. He's he's charismatic, he's funny, he's good with words. You can't take someone who has no charisma and can't get a sentence out and then teach them to be Terry. And meanwhile, he's never had to even try, you know, like this is just something that comes natural to him. Yeah, Terry, has this come natural to you your whole life? Like, yeah. even as a kid, teenager? Have you taken char- charisma classes, Terry? I've no, you're just been... naturally charismatic. Like, you've never I learned from think... an adult how to talk or tell a joke or speak to anybody. You just learn this all in your own mind without I, I observing don't... anything from anyone. I don't have to take any classes to tell you how awkward this is for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you brought it up, right? It should be super. I wasn't awkward. expecting the tables to get turned. Like this is <laughs> like, ugh. Um, he, he, okay, so here's here's my issue with talent, and you guys using this as a blanket statement that talent is better than desire. Talent gets wasted more than anything else. I I think you're right about that. So I think that that's, talent that's the point. Skills, yeah, talent versus skills is different than talent versus like passion or desire. And I think when you pair the two. That's when like the magic really happens. Well, you get right? the greatness, right? Like yeah, that's yeah, that that's when you get legends and shit that do crazy stuff that nobody else can do. I I feel like I agree with what you just said. I think my point is like so I I uh, in another book I heard it called Native Genius, which is like what's the thing that you're really good at that just comes totally naturally to you that everyone else seems to struggle with despite trying really hard. You know? And the point is that you should identify that and then push on it and make that kind of be like the center of everything for you because that's that's it you know like that's your thing that you need to focus on but but uh taking somebody whose native genius is totally unrelated to the job that they want and trying to teach some other native genius into them like they'll never measure up to the person that gets it naturally that's the point i'm trying to make and the original point and the conversation that we had, if we're talking about this in the business sense, it makes sense. Like as a manager and you're trying to find talents, like even Terry brought up on accident is you're trying to fix your people or like put your people in the right positions for success. You're not trying to like force people on your team to do shit that they don't want to do. Otherwise you get people like me who just <laughs> yell and scream and get angry. Whatever. So, like, I mean, Okay, I, I, I like this native genius idea. Like, it's not a term that I've ever heard before, but what do you two think your native geniuses are? I don't have one. I think <laughs> I, so. And I, I have not worked closely with you in some time, Jace, but you are a natural problem solver. 
like you are someone that has a knack for like reverse engineering and figuring out how to solve stuff. Do you not see that within yourself? Uh, I think it's a trait I picked up from work. It's not one that I've had. Like oh. I, I wasn't just, I, I've had a lot of fucking problems in my life and not a lot of solving for a lot of years. Well, di- you know, there are different kinds of problems, right? Uh, well, of course, but I mean, you would think that would have some solutions for when I was younger instead of just like, I guess this is the way life is. Oh, I mean, if we could all only hack all the emotional, if we could hack together solutions for all the emotional stuff that, you know, we, we've accumulated over the years, I don't know. That well, well, that's we what I'm saying is like, I, I mean, like the problem solving came when I, I went to college. Like I, I learned how to problem solve in college when I was 24. Like that's when it all started. Honestly, before that, I wasn't creating solutions for shit. I was doing nothing but making things worse or entertaining for me. Like that's how I led my life for real. And if it wasn't entertaining for me, I, I made people around me. I, I punished them and stuff like in weird ways. Like I would just pick on people or like try to make something happen, but in the wrong way and then go wrong. And people are pissed at me now. And now I have to go find a new group of friends to go fuck with, and, you know, shit well, like that. Okay. Uh, shame cycle aside. Uh, like you could say that you just had, you, it was just tapped into, you just, it was just untapped, uh, prior to, to college where you found a structure that allowed you to identify this skill. I feel like that's a cop out. Perhaps. Uh, so I'll put it to, to Critter. What's your, what's your native genius? Uh, so like, it depends on. It depends on how to, I can't decide how to answer this. I've been thinking about it ever since you asked it like two minutes ago. I, I, I took a quiz called Strengths Finder that says that my number one strength is individualization, which means uh, I'm intrigued with the unique qualities of each person and I have a gift for figuring out how different people can work together productively. And I think that that might be close. Like, I, I think that that's something that I am pretty good at, like just kind of zeroing in on what type of person this is and how to best work with them. But I don't know that I ever would have thought about that before taking that quiz. So I feel like it's kind of like cheating. Otherwise, I would maybe say, I don't know, empathy, something vague like that. Like, it's it's very fuzzy for me. Empathy. You have no emotions. You're so hollow of a person. <laughs> you I oh only in this empathy. Shut up. I have I have empathy in that I want to know you what sociopath. everyone thinks of me. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I have empathy for people who don't like me. And I want to make them like me. What do you think yours is, Terry? Um, no, let me rephrase that. What do you know yours is, Terry? I don't know. Uh, I think <laughs> it's funny. Like I always envy those people who just have such a, a steadfast confidence in this talent that they've got, and they know themselves to that degree. I don't think I'm there yet. Um, I do feel like you know, if there was a native genius, I had it. I understand people. I understand like. So maybe it's just empathy. I don't know. Uh, understanding people's fears and motivations. And um, I can kind of cut through a lot of organizational haze that way. Um, I mean, that's what how it benefits me in my job. Um, I can kind of see where someone's going a couple of steps before them uh, or see where, where there's different motivations. Um, I don't know if that's a native talent. That's like... Uh, that's something that's probably been learned over time too. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's experience, like just build up, and you just well, observe that's, people behaving. I think that's 
that's what native talent like i think a native ta- so it's all about filters right you know like we we everyone has their own set of filters and they take in experiences different ways so like if you have a native talent of whatever then what that really means is like you're really good at soaking up experiences that reinforce that thing nobody's just born with empathy as a baby you know yeah like like it develops so, over time so is it a talent or is it a skill it's a it's a talent because it's a it's an ingrown but, ingrained, but you're not born with it you're it's an ingrained it. you're born you with the said filters you're not born with it that you're taught it yeah you're naturally taught it thanks to the filters that you <laughs> are born with sure okay you're still taught it you're taught this skill because clearly some people are taught the same lessons and don't get empathy from it okay i feel like we're yak shaving or something yeah I'm it doesn't now. i don't know it doesn't the point is that it comes by people naturally and uh, if it didn't, then you shouldn't try and force it because you're, it's going to be really, 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 really hard. Yeah. Hmm. Crit, uh, I feel like you mentioned books a lot. You read quite a bit, don't you? I do. I've been slowing it down lately because we had Mark Boyd on uh, and he at the very end, he hit me with a, do you think it's actually harmful that you read so many books? And then I was like, oh my gosh, I think it might actually be harmful. And I had this huge like crisis. So I've, <laughs> I've, I've slowed it down. The empathy, that was like the tightest loop of your native genius uh, circle right there. You're like, <laughs> Mark said that I'm, that this might be bad for me. And I want to really embrace what Mark said. So now I'm questioning. In an obscure <laughs> comment at the end of an hour long session of talking to Mark, he said one line and it just wrecked Critter's brain. It, it really, it honestly has ruined me. I haven't told Mark about this, but like every, I, I started to realize I like today. every time I pick up a, no, he doesn't listen to this. Every time I pick up a, uh, a, a work-related book, there's always just like a, a vague sense of unease, you know, like it's telling me all the things that I'm doing wrong. And that's all I've been reading for the past six months, and I haven't enjoyed it. <laughs> so I'm trying to slow it down a little bit. My fear with, with work-related books is, uh, and I see this in other people, and I see this in myself, for sure, there's always a recency bias. Like, the last thing I read said this, and so that's what's stuck in my mind, and I need to alter my behaviors to fit. You know, like what this narrative might have suggested, but you know, if you talked to me six months ago, I read a different book, and you know, that's telling me that my way of being should alter in this direction, and it can be a little head spinning. But I feel like if reading as much as you do, you've got like a, a wealth of accumulated knowledge that you can probably discern what works and what maybe doesn't work for you. Best. No, he can't. Do you hear that, Jace? I have a Th- wealth. This- this podcast is just whatever book he's mostly recently reading and whatever chapter he's on. And it's just like, what do you think about this? I read my first business book and I just finished my first business book in a while, um, probably for this year at least. And like, I found myself constantly wondering like how much of this stuff can I and should be implementing in daily life. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, Maybe this is all bullshit. He just had a thesis and he's accumulated as much evidence as he possibly can to support this thesis. But there's a yeah. thesis out there that would say like something completely different. And I would probably buy into that just as much. If there's yeah, I think why I don't read at all. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah, that is uh, a risk. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. go ahead. No, it's uh, Adam Grant's book, Think Again. Mm, yeah, I've been meaning to read that. I'll send it to you if you want. Um, but the most the, the most valuable thing about the book was like 
at the end, he aggregated a lot of this stuff into actions to implement and or actions for impact or something like that. I was like, I should have just cut to the end of the book and just read these like 10 pages because he does have a primary thesis. And then like every good organizational psychologist, he goes out and finds a million different studies that support this idea that shocker, we should be rethinking our assumptions um, and Mm. learning from others. Um, So I got to the end. I was like, yeah, I get it. Uh, (laughs) But just give me to the actions. I just wanted the actions. Yeah, I think my two biggest beefs with uh, work-related books are one that most of the, pro- I think it's fair to say the majority of the ones that I read could have been like half the length, you know, and they're just like, wait, I think there's some unwritten rule that a book has to be over 250 pages or something. So they just add all kinds of anecdotes and fluff and whatever. That's super annoying. But the worst one is the one you're talking about where it's it's a bunch of stuff that sounds good and there's no research or data that backs it up. And it's really hard to know, you know, like, is this actually true or did this is this just this person's experience? So, yeah, someone's opinion with, with his book. I mean, he backed with a ton of evidence and a ton of studies and which I strongly prefer to like the, uh, let's say, Simon Sinek's uh, mode of mm-hmm. like business management, consulting, philosophy, organizational psychology, whatever it's called. Um, which is mostly like emotionally driven and very preacher centric. Like I've got an idea and I'm going to make you buy into it. I mean, it's like marketing or advertising, but with a management consulting spin to it. Um, and I find his stuff, which is highly affecting. He's a great speaker, but none of it's evidence backed. It's all like this opinion and this idea that he had much of which is, going to get latched onto by executives like here's how you need to treat millennials because this is the way that they think and uh everyone's like yeah yeah that's exactly how i feel that is how millennials think that is how yeah. they manage they do need to be coddled and i'm like you don't have any evidence to back up any of this shit like have you worked <laughs> in a business recently i'm technically a i millennial. work with tons of millennials and i promise you they don't need to be coddled jace needs to be coddled well, yeah. critter definitely needs to be coddled I do need to, I do need to be coddled. We're we're a couple of millennials. <laughs> All right, this feels like a good place to wrap it. Y'all ready for this? Oh, uh, Terry, final thoughts? Like, you know, anything you want to say to our massive audience of twenty five people? Tips, pointers, resources, takeaways? Yeah. What would you put uh, on a billboard? Whatever. My my tips, pointers would be: trust yourself. Don't listen to me. Uh, there you go. I, I don't. I I've I'm I've enjoyed ch- chatting with you guys. I wish I got to see you all more often. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's fun. Yay! All right, later, y'all. All All right, good peoples. (laughs) Have a good one. Later.